Hi, I'm Elaine Boddy. And I'm David Treadway. And welcome to the Food Bod Pod. With Matthew's Cotswold Flour. Here we are again, and thank you for joining us. And I really hope that those of you that listened enjoyed the previous episode. And if you haven't found it yet, please do. You will be just loving, I'm sure, as much as I do, just being around the flour mill, hearing how it works, understanding what happens from when the wheat is delivered at the mill to you know, the bags that then come to our kitchens. I mean, I just love it. Terrific to see the process. I mean, I know you've been round uh, a few times before. This is the first time I'd actually been round the mill properly and seen it sort of beginning to end and all that dirty wheat arriving in that huge truck to, you know, bags of flour coming out at the other end. It was brilliant. Oh, I just, I, I love it. And I think Bertie's enthusiasm and knowledge makes it even more special fields watching him with the wheat i mean he's just in his element this has been his entire life and you can feel that which i just thought was absolutely lovely when he just picked some of the wheat and rubbed it in between his hands and and then put it in his mouth and he could tell whether it was ready you know the mark of an expert who's been doing it for many years and, and was brought up with it as a boy you know out into wheat fields with his father so terrific just great watching him and and lovely to be back at farm ed as well I will say, for those of you that haven't seen it, there is a video on our YouTube channel. I took a video around the whole mill so that you can see it and see where we visited. But anyway, back to this episode. And later we'll be catching up with self-confessed foodie Jane Gagan, marketing director at Delicious magazine. Yes, and we'll be back as well with our very favourite, lovely Cherie Denim in her kitchen as she shows us how to make lemon curd. And this is a revelation to me because I thought it was a long, drawn-out process, <laughs> and she, she made it in about five minutes in I mean, front of us, didn't she? Look, so it's so a, easy, a really it? good one. Yeah, yeah. But that's coming up later. But first today, let's meet Master Butcher Simon Body from Best Butchers in Great Brickhill, in a very picturesque, lovely part of the Buckinghamshire countryside. Simon and I share the same surname because he is indeed my brother-in-law. He is my husband's older brother. And notwithstanding the fact that I'm vegetarian, the aim of this podcast is to cover all kinds of food and how to cook your meat, store your meat, how they smoke it, what dry aging meat is, why they do it, how it affects the flavor. I asked people to send me questions to make sure we got relevant information. So this is everything that I will be posing to Simon and he will also tell us what does it mean to be a master butcher? It's a master of the trade, I suppose. So you can perform all the tasks of the trade from killing the animal through to say making a sausage or a ham or running a business. In Europe, you have to attain a master butcher's qualification to have a business. So it's a certification? In, in Europe, yeah, especially Germany, I think France is the same, and Holland. It's a three, four year course. It's almost, it's degree level. I just did in-house training at my first job, so uh, like an apprenticeship. I mean, I've been in this family for like nearly 22 years. Yep. And you've always been a butcher for all that time. So how long yep. have you been doing this? 40 years-ish. 14, 15, started clearing up in a butcher shop. Well, the butcher's department of a supermarket. 
I was working part-time after school and stuff, and then fell into a full-time job there. Then went to work in a butcher shop, shop, traditional butcher shop. Done some work in a factory, catering, butchering, looking after hotels and stuff like that. That was uh, fairly horrific, long hours, three in the morning till sort of five in the evening. Wow. Yeah, it was a busy place. And then I worked for a game dealer for a bit. I think that was probably my most favorite job. Then I kind of ended up here. Worked here for two years and then bought it. So been mine for just over 30 years. Like I say, the game dealer, that was my favorite job. What made that? Well, because it was, every day was different. We, we got wild game in and we, we used to skin and butcher 60 to 100 deer a day. Wow. That's quite a physical job, surely. Oh, that is, yeah, it's hard work. And then pheasants, partridges, all the, all the usual suspects during the game season. Wild pigeons, wild rabbits, hares, everything. You've got customers coming in a couple of days a week. Yep. Um, and the rest of the time you're preparing for that. Yep. So what is the question you are asked the most? A lot of customers, especially the blokes, will say, what about steak, what do you recommend? Okay. So, which is good. Yeah. In fact, a lot of the ladies will ask the same question, but I think with the chaps, the steaks on you know the forefront of it, steaks and sausages. <laughs> they always ask us what cut we'd recommend, and because you get to know the, your customer, some don't like fat, so you point them towards a leaner piece of meat okay. or something that's well marbled and got some fat on it, and they like the fat, that you push them towards that. So this comes back to talking to somebody that knows their stuff. I mean, we had a similar conversation with, we were talking to a cheesemaker recently. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it, it takes great pride in making all of their cheeses and, and being so knowledgeable about it. And again, he was talking about when they sell at markets, the beauty of the fact that people are coming along and saying, what do you recommend? So it comes back to that, you know, actually, if you do get to know your butcher or your cheesemaker or your baker, then people have that knowledge to be able to give you that recommendation. Well, it's not when you go, when your car's broke, you go see a mechanic, don't you? Yeah. It's and then a nice piece of meat, you go and see your local butcher. And get the recommendation yeah. and get the best possible service. Yeah. So the other thing that I always find fascinating then, when we have come down here, is someone comes in and they say to you, uh, I want a joint for the weekend. And your question is, how many people are going to be eating it? How do you know from that what to give them? Well, there is a basic rule of thumb. You would sort of say, it's, say, eight ounces of meat per person. So you would, the first thing we'd do is we'd put a big piece on the scale. And say, yeah. well, that, that weighs, say, six pounds. Would you want a third of it or half of it? They'll always buy more than they actually need. So yeah, we just, it depends on the customer. If you know them really, really well, you just cut them a piece because that's what they have every time. Okay, but also Whereas, you'll know how big a consumption maybe they have. Yeah. Some people eat more than others. You put a piece of meat down, put a knife on it, and they go, well, that's too much. Move it back a bit. <laughs> so it's, it's by as eye, simple as that. Okay. It's as simple as that. So it's by eye to yeah. a certain extent. Okay. Yeah. If someone is buying meat from you, joint of meat or whatever they've bought, they go home, what's the best way for them to store it? Take it out of the packaging, put it on a plate at the coldest part of your fridge, which is usually the bottom bar, out the Uncovered? Wrapper. Yeah. Okay, so you've just got it in your fridge. It will dry out a bit, but that's not going to do it any harm. Okay, and when you're then coming to cook that, are you cooking it from cold or you leave it to come to room temperature room first? Room temperature. If you are cooking it from cold, I assume that you're going to need to add some extra time on for cooking it anyway. Correct. Okay, so the best way to go by a recipe is going to be to do it from room temperature. Yeah, if you've got a bit of steak in there in your fridge half an hour before you're going to cook it, just bring it out. My wife will get the joint out in the morning when we get up. Just put it on the side. Ready for cooking it yeah. later. Okay. Yeah. 
So once it is cooked then, or once something's roasted, I see all of these things on telly and people talking about resting your meat. Yes. How do you rest it? Well, basically, you're gonna, it's going to come out of the oven and you want to, keep, want to keep it in a warm place, not a hot place. A warm place that can relax. And that way it's going to be easy to carve or cut. It can be more juicy. If you cooked a joint of beef, two joints of beef, mm -hmm. off the same piece of meat, yeah. same temperature, exactly the same. You get one out straight away and cut it and eat it and take the other one out and rest it. You would say they were two different bits of meat. Oh, that different? Yeah. So North and south, yeah. So if you take it straight out from the oven and cut into it, it's going to be tougher? Yep. So you're leaving it to... Relax. Relax. So what's the best way to actually rest it then? I, I, I rest in a cool box. So you're actually just putting it in an empty cool box? Yeah. Just an insulated space, basically? Yeah. With the lid on, the whole shebang? A jar, slightly. Okay, so you're letting just some steam out. Just to let some steam out. out, yeah. So if somebody at home is using foil... Yeah, they just loosely cover it, not wrap it. Okay. Because that steam will continue to cook it. And you don't want that, it'll be overdone. And how long would you rest something for? A lot of the chefs would say, rest as long as you roast. When people do want to prepare their meat, I take it really from you, when people are buying meat from you, there's nothing they need to do no. for, to it when they get home. Season it, put a marinade on it, or some people like to cut the meat up at home. They'll take some braising steak for argument's sake and they'll cube it up themselves or something. We have been asking people top tips wherever we've been going and having a sharp knife uh, seems to keep coming up a lot. I mean, that must be something that's massive to you. Oh well, yeah, you, it's no, uh, blunt one's no good. You'll cut yourself with a blunt knife. You, you're going to use a lot more pressure with it. But the knife that you've got in your hand is really thin. This, this is a boning knife, so taking bones out, trimming meat. So before we get on to Sim, watching what you're going to do with this huge joint that's in front of us, I'm going to ask you some of the questions that we always ask people yeah. when we see them. So do you have any particular tips in the kitchen? Yes, one pot cooking. Just keep it simple. That's what Everything I do. in a big pan? Yeah. Yeah, chilli, ragu. Yeah, just keep it all in one pot. Nice and simple. I mean, if you're cooking on a barbecue... Oh, yeah, it's different. I, I mean, yeah, grilling and smoking on a barbecue, yeah. Well, that's a different way of cooking altogether, isn't it? I see people cooking things, like, to death on a barbecue. Yeah, so I'm the other way around, low and slow. I okay. use wood and charcoal. Get all them smoky flavours in there. I did a trip for a big birthday a few years ago and um, went across America on the barbecue route, if you like. Mm -hmm. All low and slow out there. You must have had some amazing food. Oh, on that it was trip. just unbelievable. Barbecue to death is a religion. Mm. It's not charred chicken drumsticks and sausages mullered to death and crappy burgers done on a little gas grill. No, it's a lot more than that. Hours and hours and hours. We went um, behind the scenes at a couple of restaurants and they've got these big, what they call offset smokers. So a fire's made in one end of the, this big tank, if you like. And then you've got the cooking area and the smoke just comes through. Lovely oak smoke, 16, 17 hours cooking briskets. Wow. And then they're all wrapped up and they're resting. And then you eat them the next day. Amazing. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's big in this country now. Yeah, we're that seeing kind a lot of barbecue. more of that. Yeah, we're seeing a lot more of that going on. It's, it's catching on and there's some, some real serious players out there doing it now commercially and at home and stuff. But I see a lot of it on Instagram and stuff as well. There's a lot more people cooking with fire. There's actually yeah. fire schools and things like that going oh, on yeah. now. Oh, yeah, fire management. Yeah, crikey. Yeah. I mean, and these great I just, big, yeah. beautiful bowls and the fire pits and stuff yeah. in people's gardens. 
Perfect. Yeah, beautiful. Now, for me, see, I would put an aubergine on that. <laughs> Actually, you say that. One, one place we went to, they, they did smoke cauliflowers over on, on, a, on a barbecue pit. Yeah. And I don't mind roasted cauliflower. I think that's quite nice. But the, the density of cauliflower means that actually there's so much you can do with it. So a marinade that I might put on... Yeah, these on, were all marinated Yeah, as a well. marinade I might put on chicken for my menfolk, I would put the same thing on cauliflower. Yeah. You know, the same with spice mixes. Because yeah, they, and you, when you kind of cut them into steaks and things like that, you can do a very similar thing with them. They work the same way. See? But no, we had a yeah, we had a blast over there, and we went from um, Georgia down to Texas. So we did, I think we did two and a half thousand miles. So we saw all different regions of barbecue. And did you have biscuits and gravy? No, I've had that before when I was in Virginia. Sausage gravy. Wow. So biscuits being, I mean, that's what they're we, like a scone. Yeah, well, they're basically they're yeah a savoury scone. Um, and I've got biscuit recipes in my first book that I make with sourdough. And it, it's you trying to explain what that is to someone in the UK. It's, no, basically, yeah, it's nice. basically yeah. a, a buttermilk scone that you're having with a gravy. And the so gravy is soaking it up. Yeah, the gravy is basically like a bechamel. They'll get a thin layer of sausage meat in a pan and they'll really caramelise it up all nice and crispy. Break it all up and that goes in the, in the bechamel. Oh, wow. Oh, it's, it's nice, yeah. Another thing that we always ask people, my big love, is leftovers. Yep. So is there anything in particular that you like to do with leftovers? From a roast, bubble and squeak. Everything in a pan. Yeah, fry it Mash it all up. Fry it all up. But for me, leftovers always taste better. Yeah, I, they do, I, yeah. If I make something, I'm always going to make a bigger amount so that there's a whole load left over because I always think they taste better. So it's only going to be the same with meat, surely. Yeah, I mean, I'll... We probably have the meat cold with the bubble and squeak. So slice the meat up the next day and fry up the bubble and squeak. Put them out. You're listening to the Food Pod Pod with Matthew's Cotswold flour. The perfect pizza needs the right flour. Cotswold pizza flour is an award-winning, finely milled white pizza flour for pizza dough. Perfect for pizza. Why do you age meat? Once you kill an animal, a process called decomposition starts. So, what we do with it, we slow it down with a fridge. Right. Initially. And then there's this other thing called dry aging, whereby we, we play with the climate of the fridge, for, i.e. control the humidity, the temperature, the airflow, to slow the decomposition down even more in a safe way. Because surely decomposition produces something rancid. It would do, yeah, of course it would. We're keeping it, or we're slowing it down, we're keeping it safe to eat with refrigeration. Right. So basically all it's doing is it's dehydrating. It's losing moisture. Mm -hmm. So it's like you making a sauce. The more you knock that sauce down, the more concentrated the flavour's going to be. And that's what ageing does. Okay. So we've got an ageing room just around there. We keep that running at one and a half degrees with a relative humidity between 78 and 82 percent. And the meat will stop in there for four to six weeks. So it's a storage thing? Storage. Rather than a flavour thing? No, for, for flavour. So right. we're letting the meat lose moisture in a yeah. controlled environment to improve texture, flavour. So it's mainly it- only done with beef. We're playing around with this as well, pork, dry aged pork. It all works. 
So the noise in the background, what's he making? That's a vacuum packer. Oh, okay. So as people will realise, we are here at Simon's shop, so there's lots going on around us, which is what you can hear, because we wanted to be in the place where it all goes on. Yeah, he's, um, he's just vac vacuuming up some chicken, so that's going out tomorrow. What I would like to ask you now is mm. to show us some of your knife skills. So what have we got on the table in front of us? It's a shoulder of pork so off a 100 kilo pig. It's a big leg sticking out of the table. That's the front leg, yeah. Okay. And um, what are you going to do with this piece? Well, I can make a shoulder roast for you, so how we would sell it in the shop. I'm going to attempt to talk through this, but you might have to help me with this one. All so right. what's the first thing you need to do? I'm going to cut the foot off. And what happens to all these pieces that you're cutting off? All the bones get collected once a week and they go off to make biodiesel and all sorts of bits and pieces. Right, okay, so nothing goes to waste? No. So what are you going to cut out now? This is the breastplate, all the sternum. There's a load of gristles in there. Just cut through those. Your knife just goes through it like butter, it's amazing. So this is why you like using a smaller knife, so you can get right into the yep. detail. Yeah. What's coming off now? That's just a gland out of the neck. Then I'm going to take the ribs out. So what? you keep on sharpening yeah. your knife against the steel as you go along? Yeah, just to keep the... So are these ribs that would be cut up and put um, on a barbecue? You or? could do, but you'd want the ribs a bit from a bit further down. Okay, so this is this is at a different point. Yeah. This so they've got less meat on these? Yes, yeah, they have, yeah. So they need to come out and you'll strip the meat off them? Yep. And that will just go in our sausage trim pile. So it all comes out as one piece and then I'll tidy it up afterwards. So that's one whole single piece yep. that's got the ribs and the... The neck bone. So... In here somewhere, there's a joint. So you're cutting right down the middle. Yep. And then cracking. So that's the, the joint tip. between the shoulder blade and your humerus. So I'm going to take the shoulder blade out of this now. So basically, any kind of bone or gristle is coming out. Yep. And it's got a nice big thick layer of skin and fat on it. Yeah, you want fat on it. My understanding is the fat makes meat tastes better. It does. Even if you don't end up eating the fat, just keeping it on there to cook it is yep, good? Yep, absolutely. Okay. So just follow the contours of the bone with a tip of your knife. So as we've said in previous episodes, we do have a YouTube channel so you can watch Simon doing this. Just look for the Food Bod Pod on YouTube. How long did it take you to be able to do that without even thinking when you first started doing this? Do you know what? You get shown it and you... It doesn't take long at all, really. It's repetition, repetition, isn't it? Yeah. But when you first start doing it, I suppose you Oh, your fingers probably, and thumbs, yeah. You probably cut off more meat than you should, I and guess. And yourself. <laughs> I'm just taking this gristle out here. Oh, it's like an orchestra. You're watching you just move the knife through the meat. So what's happening now? I'm going to score it, like the crackling. So you're scoring the skin... So you score that in readiness, it's not what someone does in their home? We could do, but you... Is you, it hard work? It is, you need a really sharp knife, yeah. Okay, so you score it in readiness for somebody. That's absolutely. Crackling, I do remember as a child, that was always the thing that everybody wanted a bit of. Well, we kind of score it, so when, when it's cooked and it's gone hard and crispy, you can break it up easier with them score marks. Okay. Is that how you make poor scratchings? Yeah, they dehydrate the skin a bit first and then they'll cook them in a fryer to puff them up. Oh, right, okay. 
So now you're tying it up. Yeah. So what is the point of tying it up? To hold it all together. So we so, can cut a nice joint off of it. See, I use butcher's twine when I tie up dough to make it into a pumpkin-shaped loaf. Always fascinates me that it doesn't burn. So you're going to, again, watching you tie this up, you do it just second nature. Yeah. So that must have taken some time. This is one of the hardest things to teach anybody. Oh, is it? Yeah. Because there's a process. So you're taking the, the strings all the way around it. What? Okay. And then I make a loop with that underneath that string. Wow. And then okay. come back through the loop with that tag. All right. That one is something that you'd have to watch. Because yeah. that's possible to try and explain. <laughs> it's like someone with the art of knots. So you've got two strings and you're going through it with your forefinger. You're holding one twist piece. Twist it round. Twist it round and pull it up and under the over the other one. Yeah. Then pull it. Uh, I'm not even going to try and explain that. And then just anchor it off. You see, you say just because it's something that you do over and over again. Absolutely. So this is how you end up with this beautifully tight. But I like as well the knots all end up in a line. So oh, yeah. it's, it's, I know, but it makes it, you know, it's for my brain. I think it, it looks attractive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the whole point of it, isn't it? Make it look neat and tidy. Yeah. I can't stand long strings as well. Helicopters, I call them. Meat reduces in size massively when you cook it, doesn't it? So surely well, you, the strings get loose. They will do, yeah, but they won't fall off because they're just... They're just round You it. just cut them off when it's cooked. So that's okay. a... That's How a much would you say that weighs? Five, six kilos. Would somebody buy that whole piece like that? Some people do, yeah, if they've got a big crowd, yeah. So how long would that take to cook? You'd cook that cut low and slow. Right. So it would almost fall apart anyway. You want, that, you want it to do that. Because yeah. you think about the muscles in that shoulder, they're all going to be busy muscles, so they're going to be tough. Yeah. So they need the long, slow cooking to break all that collagen down. And so that's another reason for doing yeah. it, long and slow. Yeah. I mean, that makes me think of... They're um, sticking. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> when I was in the Middle East, I would see them cooking a lot of um, goats or lambs, lambs yeah. you know, and whole, and you'd see them on the buffets, and people would just be putting their hands into the meat oh, yeah. of the animal and it just come away so Spot on. Yeah. softly. I mean, then the smell, just amazing. So that's low and slow again. They're cooking that low and slow in these big clay ovens and it's, it's sort of creating its own humid environment to cook in. So it's, it's, it's its own steam, if you like, and that's what's going to make it lovely and soft and tender. So really, it's, you know, the, the steam and all of the juices and smells that come out are kind of going all back in again. Yeah. Like it, you do with the tagine pot, where it catches yeah. the steam and it all drips back down onto it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Fab. Well, I mean, that looks perfect to me. So we'd get this out at the weekend, go in the counter. Mrs. Jones comes in, like a piece of pork, please, butcher. How big a piece would you like, madam? <laughs> and they'll say, oh, we've got eight for dinner and something like that, madam. Because we kind of know what it weighs. Yeah. And go 10% more. Not many people will say, oh, move it back a bit. But anyway, it but goes works. back to the leftovers. If you've got Absolutely. too much, then Correct. you can be having that for the rest of, yes. you know, doing stuff with it later in the week, can't you? So if someone took that home and wanted it for the future, could they then freeze it? Yep, it'll all freeze, right? Okay, and what would be the best way to defrost it? I would probably get it out and leave it in the fridge to defrost. Covered? Just in the packaging. Okay, and leave it in the fridge to Just defrost. to give out nice and slowly, and that way you're not... It's in a controlled environment. Yeah. 
when you cook it, if you're doing it from room temperature, it got, that must give you a chance to make sure it's fully defrosted again then as well. Yeah, I mean, you'd know it was defrosted because you'd feel it, you'd squeeze it and it'd be soft. So you'd get it out and then let it come to room temperature to go in the oven. So then if you go the other way and you have got cooked meat, could you then freeze that again? We do it all the time at home. We'll cook a couple of joints and then slice them up, package them up, put them in the freezer so we can have a, a midweek roast and it only takes the time it takes the taters to cook because the meat's already done and sliced. So. And I think a, mid, a midweek roast is something that people think is going to be such hard work, but actually... It doesn't yeah, need to be. Yeah, it's quite easy to put together. Yeah. So we've now got the rest of this shoulder of pig that you cut off. So what are you doing with this now? So we're going to take the rest of the bones out, take the skin off. Yeah. And this is what goes in our sausages. Okay, so talk to me about sausages. What makes a fabulous sausage? You only get out what you put in. So yeah. we only use carcass meat, if you like. So what I'm doing here, the sausage needs fat in it. It's all done on visual lean. So we're looking for sort of 75, 80% visual lean. So 20% fat. And you're doing that by eye, by colour? Yeah, well, we know a shoulder yeah. is going to give us the right proportions. Right, okay. So uh, and we might look for a bit of belly or a bit of fat off the back if it's too lean. That's what we're, we're kind of look, 20, 25% fat. You don't need to no be... No gristle. No gristle. You no don't, skin. Because you're putting good quality meat in yeah, them. With some bread rusk, spices, salt and pepper. Yeah. And the secret recipe. And then a bit of water to soak into the, you know, to help with the, the binding. Right. Then it's minced, it's mixed, and it's filled out into a natural casing. Intestine. Right. Pig's intestine. I know you do lots of different flavoured sausages, so what's the most popular? Just our standard pork sausage. A straight pork sausage? Yes. They're by far our best sellers. What I'm going to ask you about whilst you're doing that is the smoking. You've usually, today you haven't, you've usually got the smoker going. Yep. So what is the purpose of smoking meat? The main purpose for us is flavour, but it is one of the oldest forms of preservation. Yeah, we, we, we basically do it for flavour, so it's smoky bacon. We smoke chicken, we smoke fish, smoke salmon. Obviously our bacon's all dry cured, so we, it's had a dry rub of salt, sugars. It's just a way of making the meat last longer. It's so salt basically being used for preservation, and yep. then the smoke is coming along to give it flavour. And uh, it would And have, further preservation. Yeah, it would okay. help. So do you use any particular woods when you're smoking? Mainly beech, only because that's the most sustainable do different woods impart that much different flavour? Some of the, uh, the woods they use in American barbecue, like hickory and mesquite and stuff like that, yeah, they've got quite a strong flavour. Oak and beech, and some of the fruit woods like apple and cherry, it's a lot, it's a lot more subtle, if you like. Yeah. I like the flavour of the beech, yeah. The smell never seems that subtle. Because well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's so concentrated when you Well, that, that machine produces a lot of smoke. So we can, we can get a really nice colour on bacon in an hour and a half. And it doubles up as a cooker as well. So we can smoke a ham in there and cook it straight afterwards. Same with sausages. Okay. We make a, a frankfurter or a Polish-style sausage. We can put it in there, dry it, smoke it, cook it. So what makes a frankfurter different from a sausage? They're emulsified. We've got a machine called a bowl cutter, so it's got six blades in it. So the minced meat goes in this bowl. We spin it with the seasonings and some ice and we chop it until it's like toothpaste. Yeah, because it's a very different texture, yeah. the frankfurter. 
and it's so it's emulsifying itself basically yeah i mean they're lovely sausages and you get a real snap and your version of a frankfurter is again going to be quite different from a supermarket version and the supermarkets are all about cheap food aren't they i mean i think it's the worms turning on that one i think we've had cheap food in this country for way too long and um it, it needs it kind of needs to stop i mean i've heard of hams developed that have got 40 percent water in them but something to make it cheap well this is partly what we're doing and hoping that we are inspiring people with trying different foods and maybe where they get their food from or how they choose their food. God, what you do with that knife is amazing. Yeah, just so follow just, the angles. Yeah, there's a joint in there. So um, we talked about sausages. Yeah. So hand-in-hand uh, hand with that, burgers. What makes a good burger? Again, it's good quality meat. My 50th birthday, we went across America and I learned all about that kind of thing. And before I went there, we, we would make a burger, so we'd mince some meat, we'd mix some seasoning with it, a little bit of water. We'd run it back through the mincer again and we'd make burgers. They're okay, they're nice, nice flavour. Mm. But they'll always be a bit rubbery or... And then, when I went to America, they don't do any of that. They just get really, really good quality meat, mince it, make a patty, season the outside and cook it. A lot of these restaurants are making their own burgers. Just incredible. Game changer. So all done by hand? Yep. So this so, is what you now do? Yeah. There's three cuts of beef we use in our burgers. Brisket, chuck and short ribs. So they're all nice, flavourful cuts that you traditionally use for a long, slow cooking. Right. But loads of flavour. And that's and it's a perfect mix. And again, it's 80-20. Okay. So 80 lean, 20 fat. See, I think in my mind, my, my maybe there is an idea that people think that sausages and burgers are a way to use up, I don't know, less than great bits of Historically, meat. Historically, it was a poor man's... Yeah. It was a way to use the scraps up to give those who perhaps couldn't afford the better cuts, a protein, if you like. It was a waste product, but now yeah. they're trendy. Yeah, but, and, and people want a good quality product. I, if I go back to when I first started doing this job, the thought of putting that in sausages would be a, you know, really? Because it's too expensive. Because we'd use consider. it for something else. Okay. Like a joint or... Whereas now, why shouldn't a sausage and a burger be as good quality Correct. as a joint? And, uh, and that's what we do here. That's why we sell so many. So I want you to tell people about what it's like at Christmas. We're basically doing a month's retail trade in two days. We've, we've got all our regular customers, which is great, and we get quite a few people that come just for a turkey once a year. So we get a massive influx of customers. And you, you obviously see a queue. and Because um, people in a queue feel under pressure because they yeah. know there's people behind them. I don't know what it is with us English people, yeah. but that's what we do, isn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah, won't be long, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But they all come at once. Do you have any idea how many turkeys you sold, say, last Christmas? It wasn't a massive amount of whole birds. Probably 120-ish whole birds. Okay. But we do a lot of boneless turkey. Right. So we probably did three quarters of a ton of turkey breast. Wow. Which is a lot. If people want to come and find the best butchers in Great Brick Hill, um, you only open on Fridays and Saturdays. Yep. Can people put pre-orders in? You can do, or they can just use the online shop and it will come via courier. Okay, so you do delivery? Yep, we do that. Um, okay. We'll do, a click, we'll, we'll do click and collect. So you can come here and pick it up? Yeah, if you'd let us know and give us a day's notice or something like that, we'll have an order ready for the following day. Okay. Something I was going to ask about you, I remember you talking about a few years ago, was um, British charcuterie. Yeah, we make charcuterie, yeah. Yeah, so what kind of products would come into that? Salamis, air-dried hams, anything that's 
been dehydrated that much, you know, so it's, yeah. I mean, we make a, a fair bit of chorizo style sausage here. Um, the Italians and the Spanish, they're the masters at it. There's no way on earth you're ever, ever going to replicate what they do there, here. Yeah. My view on it is to try and make our own identity with it. So do your best use the version. principles, use the, the methods, but work with what we've got here. You're never going to get a, a ham to taste like a Serrano ham. No. Because we haven't got them <laughs> big cork, you know, cork forests with all the acorns that these pigs go and eat. Yep. We've got things like beech woods and, you know. So there's going to be a flavour difference. There is. And we haven't got some of the big, you know, the, the, the vast spaces you need to hang all this stuff. As you know, my sister-in-law is Spanish and she can talk vociferously for many hours about the joys of hams from well, they're, Spain they're, and their yeah. acorn-fed pigs and all those things. There's so many different just... grades of it and... I mean, the Italians, it's a great system. They make parmesan, as you know, yeah. so all, all the whey goes yeah, to the pigs. Yeah. And then the pigs go for the parma ham and the salamis and the copper oh. and stuff like that. Fantastic system. We just don't, haven't got that quite right here yet. So it's worth a trip. You need to come and have a trip or you need to look online and also appreciate all the brilliant photography, which is all yours. I On believe. the website, yeah. Yes. Yeah. But do come and ask your butcher the questions. Come and actually pose the questions Talk to at the us, people yeah, that's that what know. we're here for. Yeah. Talk to us. It's, if you want to do something different or you're not sure what you want to cook or you're not sure how to cook it, ask us. We'll tell you. But it's also, for me, it's the enthusiasm and the excitement about your product. I've seen you in full flow. The boys and, are the same. We've got two lads yeah. here, Nick and Sam. Brilliant. And they're, and they're both foodies as well. Um, Nick's the next chef. Sam just lives to eat. And you're extolling the joys. You know, yeah. this is why we do what we do. Yeah. You know, we talk about the foods we love, the foods that we make and share yeah. because of what we enjoy. Absolutely. And we do get the young housewife coming here for the first time and you always know because they're, oh, not sure about this. You know, because there's no shelves, there's no packaging, there's no... And anyway, once you've spoken to them and you know, yeah. put them at ease a little bit and what would you want to cook? Mother-in-law's coming and want to do a roast, okay. And they talk them all the way through it. And then they come back the next week, best mates. But that's what it's, that's what it's all about, just teaching people. Back to this pile of pork we have in front yep. of us. You've chopped it up, you've removed any bones or skin, what are you going to do with that now? Well, I'll put that in a tray now, that'll go in the fridge tonight, and tomorrow morning that'll be made into sausages. So okay. we'll get minced, mixed, seasoned, filled out, and they'll be Sausages by So about. from that pile you've got in front of you, how many sausages would that make? There's probably seven or eight kilo there. Um, yeah, 20 pounds of sausage. Cool. Job done. About 120 bangers. Thank you for having us. It's been really interesting. Thank you very much. You're more than welcome. You're listening to the Food Bod Pod with Matthews Cotswold Flour. Churchill is an extra strong, high-protein bread flour. It's finely milled from a blend of hard wheat sourced between the Cotswold village of Churchill and Blenheim Palace, and it is perfect for sourdough, and is what I use. Well, that was amazing, watching Simon's knife skills as he prepared that uh, shoulder of pork and the other things he showed us. It, uh, it just seems so effortless, Elaine, doesn't it? It does. Whenever I visit and I see him at work, I, I'm always 
amazed by his skill and expertise you know whether i eat meat or not this is still a master at work absolutely this is what you don't see if you walk around the supermarket and pick up your meat from the shelf already prepared you don't see what's going on behind the scenes and when i watch him amazing skills absolutely and great and, for us to be able to have that conversation and just to watch it you know I, I was standing at the back with the headphones on monitoring the recording and all the rest of it and just to watch him work was was extraordinary so thanks for arranging that Elaine I really enjoyed it and I hope our podcast listeners will also enjoy hearing exactly how he cuts meat and prepares it for our ovens and hopefully there's some really useful tips in there as well as we start to approach the festive season um hopefully some of our listeners can take away some useful tips especially about storage and cooking so we hope it's useful for everybody it certainly got my taste buds going, Elaine, and I must I don't normally eat pork. I haven't eaten pork for many years. We eat chicken, we eat fish, but we really eat pork. And actually, I thought, well, maybe a shoulder of pork sometime soon might be quite nice to have a, a, a roast pork on a Sunday. <laughs> you do realise that as we go through these, dips, these episodes and meet these different people, it's continually affecting how you cook and what you eat. It's, it's the, the job. It's the job yeah, of the podcast. Yeah, it's yeah. brilliant. Anyway, still to come, we have Cherie Denham's lemon curd recipe, which I definitely hope you enjoy. But first, let's meet Jane Gagan at Delicious, which was named the Food Magazine of the Year in 2022 by the Guild of Food Writers. And Jane told me about what she likes to cook and why food is such an integral part of her life. So I'll let her introduce herself. Well, hi, Elaine. I am Jane Gagan. I am the marketing manager of Delicious, which is not only a magazine, um, but a food brand online with recipe content and cooking and all sorts of glorious connections to food. I have to say, and I'm being completely and utterly honest, it is the only food magazine that I subscribe to and buy. And we are delighted to hear that. Thank you. Yes, and I love it greatly. Actually, there was a question that was posted in your uh, Facebook forum recently, which I would like the answer to. What does one do with the stack of back issues? Yeah, that's a very, very good question. And we, we have lots of readers who, I mean, our answer is always sort of get rid of them because then we hope you buy more. Um, but yes, it is always a bit of a tricky one in the magazine world because people do hang on to them. And then... yeah, but they're so beautiful and there's so much inspiration that it, you, you find it difficult to then want to you know, recycle them or do something with them. So yes, I end up with a stack. Yeah, well, absolutely. And and people do have different methods. They either rehome them or they cut out recipes to keep them or lots of different methods. It's always interesting to hear how people choose to use their back issues. So you are very much engrossed in the world of food. Yes, um, I love food um, and I love everything about food, I think probably more than anything. I'm a great... I think, I think food is such a special part of life. And to me, um, I think it's, it's such a wonderful way that brings people together, I think, for families to, to be around a table. It's a very special thing. I'm not necessarily an expert on food, but I do love everything about it. So what would you choose to cook if you could? What's your favourite thing to cook? Well... Bread is a big thing for me, and I'm not just saying that because you're here. Um, <laughs> Fifteen years ago, my husband and I went on a bread-baking course with Richard Bertonet, and we thought that we would have a nice weekend away and enjoy the experience, and maybe we'd come back and bake some bread the following weekend, and, 
and that would be the end of it, as often you, those things are a five-minute novelty. And we never looked back, and we have not bought shop bread since. Um, oh, you've always baked since that course? Always baked since that course. Oh, cool. And now, as you obviously know, we're, we're keen sourdough bakers. You taught my husband during lockdown, and um, now we fight about baking sourdough in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> who's turn, who's, <laughs> and whose turn is it now? Um, and uh, then we critique each other's. Yeah, it's great. And a lovely experience for me was my two teenagers who are now no longer teenagers, but their friends, wonderful for them to come round and to share bread in the kitchen. And to this day, we always get requests for bagels and, and all that sort of thing that they, they just love it. And then during lockdown, my daughter's friends asked me, because they were all at home and had nothing to do, and they asked me if I could knock up a quick video to teach them how to make bread. And it was lovely that about four or five of these girls went off and, and tried their hand at baking bread through my YouTube video, which was very unprofessional, but it did the job. And I loved the fact that they now have that very basic skill that they can go away through their adult lives, hopefully, and still continue to make bread in some shape or form, because I don't think people realize the simplicity and the pleasure it gives. I didn't but, know that. That's so cool. Yeah. So bread for me is a, is a big one, I suppose. The other thing I love are roasts. I think my husband and I pride ourselves on pulling together a pretty good roast. And I just, for me, actually, funny enough, it's mostly the vegetables. Mm -hmm. If I had a plate, it would be three quarters vegetables and a, and a quarter meat, even less, um, because I just love the variety of vegetables. And I think whenever we've cooked it for anybody, it's probably the thing that everybody loves is a roast and you lay out all the plates with all the vegetables and everybody enjoys the gravy and I love Yorkshire puddings with everything. So yeah, I, I always say if, it was, if I had a last meal, it would probably be a roast. Oh, cool. So would that then be what you would say be your family favourite? Yes, I think so. Both of my children are currently living in Canada. They're both in their early 20s. And um, I think one of the things, they're home for Christmas. And I think that'll be the first thing on the lift list would be, well, hopefully it'll be a Christmas lunch, but um, it would be one of the first things that we would enjoy feeding them back round of the table, yes. I have to say, I think in my house, it's the, it's the meal that gets the, the most, that, that's what my son and my husband will eat most of, Yeah, will be a roast dinner. And I love the association of a nice crumble after a roast too, you know, an autumn day with an apple and blackberry crumble. And I, I have to say I've kind of mastered my crumble topping, which has got everything. I like the crunch of a bit of demerara sugar and a bit of ground almonds and all sorts I put in there, walnuts or whatever. And yeah, that, that and a bit oh. of custard. And, and I, one of my funny food things, which everybody laughs about, is evaporated milk. Okay. I am, it's a family favourite and um, I am a huge lover of evaporated milk with everything and I order it by the 12. Are we talking carnation? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. There is nothing you can't do with carnation evaporated milk. As a child I used to have it over mashed banana with a sprinkling of sugar and I will put it in everything now from a drizzle in my porridge in the morning to over crumble or... You can put it in mashed potato and it's just, it's just the best thing ever. Wow. And if you have never tried evaporated milk, go do it. If you open one of my kitchen cupboards, I've got quite a few cans of it. 
So yeah. I'm learning more and more about you yeah, today. There you go. I never knew. Okay. My foodie secrets. <laughs> Other than bread, my favourite thing, I, I always have a frustration with with meat because I tend to be a cautious cook, if you like, and I will often overcook meat and I get frustrated by that because, you know, I, I, there's a fine line between a piece of meat being perfect and then slightly too dry. So my favourite thing has always been puddings and I'm always renowned for, uh, if we have friends, family around, I will never make just one pudding and I love the performance of bringing three puddings to the table and everybody kind of goes, oh! You know, because oh, okay. it's like the favourite part of the meal because, you know, oh, what shall I have first? And, and I love when people come round and they'll go, oh, I'll have everything, but, you know, I'll start with that one. <laughs> that gives me enormous pleasure. Um, and I find puddings are so simple to make, really, but so give so much pleasure. And that and homemade ice cream, I think, is a real winner. I love, I love to serve that because, again, the novelty of a homemade ice cream, everybody yeah. really loves, you know, and I get some waffle cornets and, yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, gosh. <laughs> All round to yours, I reckon. So you tell me that you tend to be more of a recipe follower than yes. making, your, making your own things up. So what draws you to a recipe or what you know, you work in an industry that's all about recipes. Yeah. So what to you is a good recipe? What works? What do you think a recipe should have? I think it's a combination of things. I'm a, I'm a huge believer in the quality of ingredients and that very simple food with the right ingredients is the most delicious. For instance, I love sea bass. It's a big favourite of mine, but I don't like when it's got unnecessary sauces on it or, you know, it's just the a sea bass with a squeeze of lemon and black pepper and you need nothing else. With Delicious, we obviously put out a lot of recipe content, um, all of them fantastic recipes, obviously. But um, for me, I think it depends when I'm cooking, um, that it's something that, you know, if it's during the week and you want it to be quick and easy with ingredients that you've got and that they're not, I think what puts you off often a recipe is lots of complicated ingredients that you haven't got in your cupboards. So if it's something you kind of go, oh, yes, 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 I've got that, I can go and make it, then that's fantastic. So yes, I am a recipe follower. I've never really been daring enough to sort of go off piece too much. And I know people often fall into two, two schools with that. You know, you're either a great experimenter or you're somebody who follows recipes. And I think I'm one of those. <laughs> Uh, well, and absolutely, and thank goodness there are people that want to follow recipes for those of us that write cookbooks and Indeed. produce food magazines. Indeed. Because to me also, they're, they're your starting point. I couldn't be the experimenter in the kitchen I am without having tried recipes first. Yeah. So it depends whether you start with recipes and that's the way you stay or whether you then start to play around. And to me, it's the, the confidence builder, isn't it? Is by reading recipes, you understand what goes together, what yeah. things are going to work and what you can play around with. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think everybody loves tips and things that, you know, little ideas that they've not thought about or quick ways to do things. And, you know, that's very much what we try to bring, you know, more of through Delicious and um, ideas about that too. So... And I think, you know, the other thing that I love about food is just the most, is the important part about looking after yourself and, you know, we should all care about our bodies and, and the food that we put inside them and, and feeding and our families is a way of showing our love through food and, um, yeah, I, th I think it's very special from that point of view.
You're listening to the Food Bod Pod with Matthew's Cotswold Flower, bringing you Britain's largest speciality flower range. And let's finish this episode by returning to Cherie Denham's kitchen. This is a really exciting time for Cherie as her first book, The Irish Bakery, is about to be published. It's an exquisite book. It's it's beautiful, stunning photography by Andrew Montgomery. And we'll be speaking to Cherie about the book in a couple of episodes time. We first met Cherie earlier in this season and you can find her recipes from that episode on our website at foodbodpod.com where you'll also find today's recipe. I'm going to put together a lemon curd. Now, normally a lemon curd is done over a bain-marie, so hot water in a pan, bowl over the top, and then you stand and you stir for ages and ages. But I just wanted to speed things up. What I'm going to do is break three eggs, first of all, into my pan. And these are your eggs? Yeah, these are my chicken's eggs. So Andy Denham asked me what I would like for my um, 50th birthday a couple of years ago. And I said, chickens. And he said, no, don't be silly. And I said, no, I mean it. I said, diamonds and pearls are overrated chickens. Ah, fabulous. So these are my chicken's eggs. And I'm just going to, three eggs. They've got beautiful yolks. So they're nice and yellow. They're so happy at the moment, chickens. We're just whisking them up loosely. Yep, just okay. put those in there. And so Cherie's just used a fork basically to mix them up. That's right. And then I've got the zest of three lemons. So again, I use a microplane Elaine because you get a really lovely fine zest. Okay. So the three lemon zests go in there. And then the juice of three lemons as well. Okay, so there's no waste on any of that. Yep, in there. Some people might use two eggs and one egg yolk to make their lemon curd richer. If you do that, always freeze your egg whites. Okay. So that's a good one. Oh, you one. freeze egg whites? Freeze egg whites. Okay. And freeze them in a Tupperware box and just put a wee note on top of how many egg whites are in there. So that you know what you've got for your recipe. Correct. Because okay. 30, but, but if you've put lots in and you thought, oh, flip me, I haven't put a, haven't put a note of how many are in there. 30 mils of egg whites or one fluid ounce of egg white is the same as one egg white oh brilliant yeah. God. so you're a mine of information <laughs> so in here is going 85 grams of butter i've used unsalted you don't have to use unsalted but i've You've got it in there that already in I've, preparation yes so i've put it all into weak cubes because it will then melt at the same time as the sugar okay so if you put it into one big lump you're going to take longer to melt yeah so this cut it smells up into wee amazing bits. so we've got the Whole eggs, we've got the lemon zest, the lemon juice and the butter so far, all, yes. all in together. Yeah, and then 110 grams of granulated sugar. Okay, so those, this really is a one pot thing. Yep, and then I'm going to put, just mix those all up together. Oh, it's so yellow. Yeah, happy chickens, you see, that's what it is. And then what you do is you have a bowl Oh, you do that bit now? And No, no, no. And you're okay. saved ready. Oh, okay. Because we're going to cook it out now on the alga over here. So, so that, if you didn't have an alga, what kind of temperature would you be doing it on? So a medium heat on yeah. your normal cooker. Yeah. Because what you want to do is keep... You do keep stirring this stage, but it is quicker than the bain-marie method. So when you stir, I'm using a spatula here because it goes right in around the edges of yep. the saucepan rather than a wooden spoon which doesn't quite fit in around the edges so stir keep stirring until the butter is nicely melted and the sugars dissolved right 
and then what we'll do is stir and stir gently until the whole lot thickens. It's getting it's a bit so hot. <laughs> I am so used to the heat of it. I'm like a cat. I like to just hug the other. <laughs> I'll tell you. You're the opposite from me. Women in their 50s usually it's needing to be cooler. Right. So can you see here the butter's all starting to melt and I yeah. can feel that that grittiness from the sugar Oh, you can feel that well. with the through the spatula as you. So yeah. the spatula is right on the bottom of the pan as you're stirring. Absolutely. So you can feel that it's dissolving. Yes. Okay. And it's still liquid at this stage. What we want to do is get it to be thick enough without boiling. It mustn't boil because if you let it boil, it will just go to sweet scrambled eggs. Okay. Doing it gently and gra and gradually like this and keeping it all going at the same time means that it will start to all thicken and emulsify at the same time okay so what we do is go right around the edges again all over the base of the pan is this going to thicken in the pan and then get thicker when it's as it sets yes absolutely so now it's liquid because you've melted the butter we've melted the butter and the sugar and now bit by bit it's starting bit by bit to just get slightly slightly thicker and what we're going to do is just wait for it to what's called coat the back of the spoon yeah okay so at the minute when we do this and we put our finger through there's a wee bit of a trail okay but not so really. on, the on the back of the spatula yeah okay and this is where you now need to you can see that it's starting to thicken now elaine so yeah. we need to be quick 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 this is why we had our sieve and our bowl ready so as it starts away. to thicken you're stirring it faster and faster and faster yeah and can you and see you're now before so on the back of the spatula it's yeah. sticking and then straight into your sieve so it's we're taking it you're scraping it from the saucepan into the sieve which is sitting over your bowl in preparation yes every single last I bit. take it if you lick that spatula right now it's going to burn your tongue like mad absolutely this is your silicone ladle so what you want to do is round and round in the shape you go round and round rather than back and forth so you're moving the the ladle round and round through and can you see wow. how quickly it's that has come through yeah now it is going to be slightly softer and runnier now because it's hot yeah sugar and, and butter okay so they're going they're all obviously going to be soft when they're melted but as it cools down it gets more and more firm so that's when it takes on the curd the the, the, the more solidified texture that we would know yes so and you're the, ending up with a little bit on the back of the so ladle see? that you don't need so that's the lemon zest that's on there is it yes and any wee bits of eggs stringy eggs that haven't been cooked through okay. so so because you're using a silicone ladle you can press through every last bit of flavor out of that zest okay so i can see because you're pressing round against round you're getting as much out of it as possible basically yes and also because the ladle is silicone you, you're not risking discoloration of your curd or your curd going metallic, metallic. or anything okay. like that so that's that it is a very very glorious yellow color it's like a wee bowl of sunshine isn't it it is so what i'm going to do is just give it a stir give it a stir so that it, it cools down I'll, I'll leave it in the pantry to cool down now what you can do at this point is put maybe a wee piece of bacon parchment or greaseproof paper down over the top of it so it doesn't form a skin yes okay and then i put it through a funnel a jam funnel 
into a preserving jar or a jam jar and put it into the fridge. Do you know, this is what I need. The amount of things I put into jars and I slop it everywhere. So this is what I need. I need a jam funnel. You have to make sure that your jar is hot and your lemon curd is hot because if you put lemon curd yes. into, a hot, into a cold jar, it could crack your jar. So do you, do you, so you, you put the hot curd into a warm jar, you don't wait for it to be cool to go into a cold jar? No, no, you put hot curd into a hot jar, but if you were going to say put it, sorry, I should have said, if you're going to put it into a cake or something, cool it down in your pantry. Okay. And then, you know, use it later on to fill your cake or to put on your buns or to do whatever you want to do with it. Cool. Um, but yeah, if you're going to keep it, put it in your jar, hot jar, and then let it cool down and then put it into your fridge. And you can freeze it for about a month in the jar. Wow. It will freeze because of the acidity in the lemons. It freezes beautifully. So how would you warm up the jar? Well, I, I would put it through the dishwasher if you've got a dishwasher uh, going okay, so on. Okay, sterilize it as well. Yeah. Okay. Or you could put just hot water, a bit of fairy liquid, wash it through, dry it off, and make sure it's hot that way. And then, yeah, put in your curd. Fabulous. Do you want to taste a bit warm? Right. Just take a wee bit from the edge so you don't burn the bake off yourself, as we would say. Okay. Oh, that's lovely. It's really light as well. And citrusy because you yeah. pushed so much through with all that lemon. Brilliant. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. Well, how fabulous was that? We have to confess, we did each come away with some little jars of lemon curd, didn't we, David? We did. And actually, I've still got mine. It keeps so well in the fridge. And every so often I dip in and stick a bit on a bit of sourdough toast or whatever. Absolutely delicious. It really, really is like the best lemon curd I've ever tasted. I, I have to say, from what we've experienced, I can't imagine that Cherie ever makes anything that isn't amazing, really. No, I think I think that's fair to say. I mean, we could just... <laughs> <laughs> eat Cherie's food for the rest of our lives and be delighted every time. She's a she's a great oh, cook. She's terrific. Yeah, I, I'm so excited for her, for her book and I cannot wait to try the apple cake that she's got in it. Looks just stunning. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, mega excited for Cherie. And we'll be talking to her about the book and how it came about in the future episode. So look forward to that. We haven't recorded that one yet, so I'm really looking forward to it. Well, now... Next episode coming up will include something a little bit left field, if you like, Elaine, because it's food, but not as we know it. Maybe not food as we know it, but food as many other people know it, Indeed. I guess. But yes, in the next episode, we are talking to the brilliant founders of Yumbug. This is food made from crickets. You know, insects form an integral part of so many people's diets. Yeah, and to listen to the guys talking about it, you know, there's a lot of information that they're sharing with us about environment and sustainability. I'm cooking with them. I, I really hope that you will you will listen because there's it's 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 it, it really interesting subject. Yeah. Interesting. When you talk about protein, if you want protein, crickets are your answer. But. Mm. Mm. We'll let you listen and decide. That's next time, along with another recipe from Sophie Cowrie. Yeah, so Sophie is bringing us her ramen noodles, another brilliant recipe from Sophie. And actually, thinking about it, they go really well with, with a cricket stir-fry, wouldn't they? It's almost like we planned it, David. <laughs> 
perish the thought. Anyway, <laughs> that's all coming up next time. But uh, that's it from this episode of Food Bod Pod with Matthew's Cotsall Flower. So it's goodbye from me, David Treadway. And from me, Elaine Body. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.